the 13th chapter of Hilchas Malva Valeva, the laws of a lender and borrower. Today's chapter contains eight halachas and deals with the regulations of how and under what conditions one may collect a loan. Perak Shlesha Asr, the 13th chapter, Halacha Aleph. If a lender comes to collect his debt and he is holding a document and he wants to collect not in the presence of the borrower. The borrower is somehow not present. The time comes for him to collect the loan. He cannot locate the borrower and he wishes to grab some of his possessions or have them turned in for money so that he can collect his loan. The first thing that Bezdin, the Jewish court, must do is investigate as to where the borrower is and can he be located. If it's possible for the Jewish court to send a messenger to him and notify him so that he can come to judgment, they send a messenger and notify him that he should come. And should it be impossible to notify him quickly, in such a case, we tell the lender that he should take an oath. And then he is allowed to take some of his possessions, either lands or movable objects. As the law is, that if one wants to take away money from another, the law is that one must first take an oath. So therefore he takes an oath in this case and then can collect his debt. And we do not worry that perhaps the borrower has a receipt. He really paid the the debt and he has a receipt. And since he is holding a receipt, he is not worried that the document showing that he owes money is still in the hands of the lender since he has a receipt to prove that he paid. And if he does have this receipt, the lender would be taking these belongings illegally. Nevertheless, we do not worry about such a case. When the borrower comes back and sees that his land or belongings have been grasped, he can produce the, the receipt then and reclaim the land or belongings which have been grasped. The Rambam mentions that if it's impossible to notify him quickly, in such a case, the lender is allowed to swear and take the belongings. What is called quickly? A distinction is made as to how far away the borrower is. The Shulchan Aruch brings down the opinion of the Rosh that if he is more than 30 days away, in other words, it would take more than 30 days for the messenger of the court to notify him and then come back with him, this is called far away. Should he be any closer, then this is called close. And one notifies him and waits until he comes back to sit in judgment. The din This law that we allow the, the lender to take an oath and reclaim his debt from the belongings of the borrower, even not in his presence, this is something by rabbinic decree. In order that everyone should not take someone else's money, and will simply go away and live in some other land. He'll borrow money, go somewhere else, and he'll never pay it back. In such a way, without the Tzakonos Chachamim, it would be impossible for the lender to reclaim his debt, since the law is in general that one is not allowed to take money away from someone else unless he is present. You cannot hold a, a court case against someone unless he is present. However, since that would lead to a situation when people would go to other countries, and never pay back their loans, 
And it will turn out that the door literally will be shut to the borrowers. And when people see that they lend money and never get it back, this will cut down on the degree of loans, the amount of loans which are given. Because people will be afraid to lend, perhaps they won't get the money back. In order to avoid such a situation, the sages established that one can swear and reclaim the money even if the borrower is not present, should he be far away. And therefore they ensured that loans would continue to be given. Halacha base. That the lender must bring three proofs to the court, and only then can he have his loan paid off, even not in the presence of the borrower. The first thing he must prove is that he must validate, prove the authenticity of the document that he himself is holding. The document which says that the borrower owes him money, he must prove that it is authentic. And the second proof, that the borrower is in another country, another land. And he is not found in the present environment nearby in order to stand in judgment, as we explained before, should he be within 15 days journey or 30 days round trip, he would have to wait until the borrower comes. So, so therefore the second proof is that he is not so close. And the third proof the lender must bring to court, that the belongings that he wishes to collect from actually do belong to this particular borrower. He first must bring these three proofs and until then would not be able to collect anything. Halacha Gimel. In this and the following halacha, the Rambam will deal with a case where the lender who was coming to collect his debt has a mashkin, collateral, which was given to him by the borrower when the loan was taken out. To understand this halacha, we must review the concept of migoy. A migoy means since. That since I could have told a better lie, you should believe me with the claim I have now. In other words, a person makes a claim and we don't know whether to believe him. The principle of migoy is that he, he could have said an even better claim and you would have believed him. Since he could have said that, then you believe him with what he says now. Malvish mashkin a lender who came to the Jewish court and he is holding a mashkin collateral in, the, in his hands. And he says, this is the collateral of such and such a person who borrowed money from me. And now, I want now to sell this collateral and to gain repayment of my loan, of my debt. The court is not required to tell him, wait until the borrower comes along and brings his claims. In other words, we don't make him wait around till the borrower comes. If he wanted to, he could say that I already bought it. Since there is nothing to prove that it does not belong to him, nobody is producing any document, he has a migoy. Why should he come and, and tell a lie that it's, that it's a collateral, he could have claimed that it was bought, that it's his, his total proper, his property completely. Therefore, we believe him with this claim, and as the Rambam will continue later on, he still must take an oath. But we believe him and do not wait for the borrower to come before we sell this object and have him collect his debt from the money. However, we may seem like Eitza, we nevertheless advise him, that the sale should take place in front of witnesses. In order that the borrower should be able to determine how much it was sold for, in order to ensure that he got a proper price. 
And so to a case where one person lends another and he takes collateral for it. And then both the borrower and the lender both die. And now the heir of the lender's estate wants to collect the money which was owed to his father by the now deceased borrower. So in this case, regardless of about whether the borrower died first or the lender died first. Unlike as the Ramam explains in Perek Yudzayim, a case where there is a difference according to who died first, in the case of a loan with a mashkin, it doesn't matter who died first. Since this heir is collecting from this which is in his possession, the collateral is his. He is holding on to it. If he wanted to, he could say that it is that it is bought and I own it. So since you would you would believe him with this better lie that he could say it belongs to him altogether. This heir of the lender's estate takes an oath holding a sacred object such as a Torah scroll and then he takes the money as the law is by anyone who is going to swear and as a result collect money he must take an oath similar to the biblically ordained oath by holding a Torah scroll but now the question arises that since he has a migoy in either of the two cases we discussed in this halacha where a person comes the lender himself comes with the mashkin, or when the heir of the deceased lender comes with the mashkin. In any of these cases, they have a migoy. Since it's within their possession, they can say that this collateral was purchased by them. And since they have this migoy, the question is, why do we make them say, take such a harsh oath? There are three different types of oaths discussed by the Rambam. There is an oath by Torah decree. There is an oath which is similar to that of the Torah, such as the one we discuss here, that with Nikita's Chayfetz. And so too, there is a rabbinic oath, a Shavuos Heses. Over here it seems that we should not make him take this stricter oath, the intermediate one, but Nikita's Chayfetz. Since he has a Mikwe, why should we believe him altogether? And at the very most, we should make him take a rabbinic oath, as is the case in any claim, where one person claims one thing and the other one denies the claim, he must take a rabbinic oath as a kefenarko. So this is what the Ramam now asks. Why is it that it should not be sufficient for this heir or the lender to take a rabbinic oath Why is it that we make him take this oath, a, such a strong oath of nishboim v'neitlin if he already has a migoy? So first the Rambam establishes that even though he is holding on to this object, when he comes to the court and asks them to sell it, to legally sell it, it is not a case where he is just taking something which he owns and verifying that it belongs to him. This is called grabbing the shboim v'neitli. He is grabbing away money from the borrower. How is that if he's holding on to it? He is not swearing on this object itself to say that this object belongs to him. He's not swearing regarding that, that he wouldn't have to swear to. He's holding on to it. He is swearing on the money that he's going to take as a result of selling this mashkin. And the money is something he's taking out from the estate of the borrower. If he said on the object itself, that you sold it to me or you gave it to me. In such a case, if he did make that claim, he would be allowed to take only a rabbinic oath and be exempt from payment. That's as long, however, as he has this migoy. Since he has the migoy, that he could say that he bought it or that it was given to him, he would be able to get away with a rabbinic oath. However, but let's say there should be witnesses 
that this object is not... He would not be able to claim he bought it. There are witnesses that say that it's a mashkin. The witnesses say it's collateral. They just don't know how much money was originally borrowed. In such a case, since he is not claiming, he cannot claim anymore that he bought it and that he really owns this object, he cannot deny witnesses who say that it's only collateral. In this case, he is only allowed to take it away with a shvu, with an oath similar to that of, of the Torah, with Nakidus Chafetz. So the question here is, what do we want this Migoy to do for him? How is this Migoy going to help him? If he does have the Migoy and he could claim that the thing was bought, in such a case, he would not have to take an oath for Nakitas Chefetz. Only a rabbinical Deshavuas has this. However, if he has no Migoy, then he would have to take a Nakitas Chefetz. So what do we want the Migoy to do? We want the Migoy to be able to knock him down from the, from the more extreme oath, a Shavuah Menakitus Chefetz, and knock him down to the circumstance where he only has to take a rabbinical. It is for this reason that his Migoy is not going to help him. Because the principle the Rambam holds, which he brings from, his, from the Rimigash, is that a Migoy is good enough to keep you from paying money. However, a Migoy is, cannot get you out of taking an oath. That a Migoy ain't a patron This is a principle that the Migoy cannot help him to get out of an oath. And over here, this is exactly what he wants to do. Because he, even without, this Migoy is not helping him get the money. Without the Migoy, he could also get the money. The only thing is that without the Migoy, he's going to have to take an oath for Nakitas Chaifetz. If he claimed Lakur Chubiyadi, he would only take a Shavuaz Hesses. So what does he want this Migoy to do? To get rid of this oath for Nakitas Chaifetz. That's a Migoy Lapotra Mishvua. He's trying to use a Migoy to get him out of taking an oath. This he's not allowed to do. So therefore, even in a case where he does have the Migoy, we nevertheless make him take this oath for Nakitas Chefetz. And that's what the Rambam now says. So therefore, since if in a case when there would be no witnesses, he would be believed to say that it's his. We believe him only with the exact same type of oath that he would swear if there were already witnesses that it was a mashkin, that it was collateral. And if there were witnesses that it was collateral, he would no longer have a migoy. Because the principle is we never use a migoy to exempt him from taking an oath. But just to exempt him from having to pay money, that he must not return this collateral until he takes the money that he is claiming. But even though he has a migoy, and if he claimed what he, what he has backing him up, if he claimed, he would only take a rabbinical. Now he has a migoy, he wants to get out of the oath, but since, he, since we do not use his migoy, we only believe him, even when he has the migoy, with the same oath he would have to take without the migoy. We equalize both cases. There is no difference between the oath you take with or without a migoy, because the migoy is irrelevant to the question of the oath. Therefore, even and with his miko, he nevertheless must take an oath for Nakita's chayfetz. Halacha Dalit. This rather long halacha deals with six or seven cases revolving around a case of dispute when the lender who was holding a mashkin, holding collateral, lost the collateral and is responsible to pay for the amount of the loss. However, a dispute arises as to how much actually this mashkin was worth. Hamalvi is chavera ala mashkin if someone lent money to another and took collateral, 
and it was lost or stolen, and it was due to it was not due to any unavoidable situation. There was no anus. And the lender is responsible to pay for losing this collateral, as we explained previously in the tenth chapter of Hilchos Chidas. That a malva lender has the same responsibility as a paid watchman, since he is getting benefit from holding on to this collateral, and therefore he must pay in the case of, of Aveda and Gneva. But Omar Amalva and the lender says, Sela he'll be that I lent you one seller. And the collateral was only worth two dinner. A seller is four dinner. So therefore, the collateral was only worth half of the total amount of the loan. So true, I will have to pay for the lost collateral. And I forfeit half of the money you owe me. But you still owe me two dinner. However, the borrower says, Seller he'll be sani the commentaries point out over here that it really should be seller HaYeshava, that it was also worth a seller. In other words, that you lent me one seller, and the collateral was worth seller. So you tell me I, I, I owe you two, and I, tell, and I tell you that I owe you nothing at all. In this case, The first thing is that the lender must take an oath, which is placed on all watchmen, that he does not have this object within his possession. That although normally a shamer, a watchman, must only take an oath, an oath of the Torah, when he is, is being exempt from payment, in order not to pay, he must take an oath. We, were, we explained in the sixth chapter of Hilchashaylu Pikodan that our sages put an oath upon a watchman when he claims an object was lost or stolen, even if he does still have to pay. And the reason they did this is because perhaps the watchman became fond of the object he was guarding and because of this, wants to grab it for himself. So that's the first thing. The lender who says that he has lost this object or that it was stolen, first must take this oath that we discussed previously, that he no longer has it. And then, And then the borrower takes a rabbinic oath that the amount of the collateral was enough to cover the money he owed. And then he is exempt. The reason he takes only a rabbinic oath is because he is in the category of a kefir hakol. That since everybody agrees that it was worth at least two dinar, the only thing is that the blender says that it was worth only two, and therefore you owe me two. And then the, le- the borrower answers him, I owe you nothing. He's like a kefir hakol. He is denying all of these two dinar that it is claimed that he owes. And therefore he is exempt with a shavuot hesis. Now a second case. The lender says that I lent you a seller, and the mashkan, the collateral, was only worth one shekel, which is the same as two dinner, thereby claiming that the borrower still owes him two. The borrower says, I agree that I borrowed that much money a seller. However, the mashkin, the collateral, was worth three dinner, not two like you say, it's worth three. Unlike the first case where he was a kefirakol, he says, I owe you nothing. In this case, he says that it was worth three, so you tell me I owe you two. I answer you, I only owe one. You tell me the collateral was worth two, and therefore I owe you another two. I say the collateral was worth three, and I only only owe you one. In this case, the labor, the borrower, becomes a maid of the mixus. As the law is, if one partially agrees to the claim against against oneself, the, per, the person is required to take an oath by the law of the Torah. 
a real the Torah oath, a made of victims. And this is this case. So therefore, first Nevertheless, first, the lender must take his oath. And we discussed previously that he no longer has this collateral in his possession. And afterwards, the borrower takes an oath as to how much it was worth. And this oath is an oath of the Torah. Since he agreed partially to the claim against him, he is a maid of a mixus and must take an oath of the Torah. And then, and then he must pay the one dinner which he agrees that he owes, since he says that the mashkin was worth three. And the loan was certainly a seller. He agrees that it was four. He must pay that one dinner. And in order to not have to pay that, he is required to take an oath of the Torah as a mode of a mixus. Now a third case. That if the borrower says seller, he'll be sani Allah That I borrowed one seller for you from you, but you owe me money because the mashkin was worth two. It was worth two seller. No, the lender answers him, I owe you nothing, we're just even, because I lent you a seller, we agree to that, but I say that the collateral is worth the same amount of money as the loan. So in this case, the borrower is the one that's claiming here a seller, and the Melvi is a kefir hakol. He's denying and says, no, that I only owe, uh, that I owe you nothing. He, the, therefore, he is a kefir hakol. So therefore, Yeshua Malvi If the lender must take the regular oath, he must take in any of these cases that he no longer has this collateral in his possession. And then he includes in this oath that the collateral was enough to cover the the debt and no more. And then he is exempt from paying anything else because he is a kefir hakel. And now a fourth case to correspond to the previous case where the borrower was a maidim mixus. Now let's say the lender is a maidim mixus. The borrower makes a claim that I borrowed one seller from you, but the collateral I gave you was worth two. In this case, the lender answers him, not that he's kaiparakal, that I don't owe you anything. He's modim mixtas. He says, seller, he'll be sikhalav. True that I lent you one seller. But this that you say it was worth two seller, the collateral was worth two? No. For Hamisha dinner in Hayashava. It was only worth five dinner. In other words, a little more than a seller. A seller is four dinner. So he's saying that I owe you, you tell me I owe you four dinner. I say I owe you only three dinner. Since the mashkin itself was worth five. In this case, we would think that just as in the other case we made the borrower take an oath of a maidim mikdash, we will make him also, in this case, the lender take an oath of a maidim mikdash. So Raman says, no. First, Yeshava Mal The lender must take the regular oath that in all of these cases that he does not have the mashman in his possession. And then the Yichul Shaleha Yeshava Yeser Al Kamisha Dindin. And then he includes in this his oath that the collateral was worth no more than five. And then the Yishalim had dinner. And then he pays back the extra amount. And why is it we don't make him take first the stricter oath of Meidim Amixus, which is Mina Teira, and instead we have him take this oath, which is only Me'en Shal Teira? The explanation is that since we don't even know for sure that it's going to be necessary to have an oath at all, we suspect this person of holding on to the collateral. As we explained previously, quoting Hil Chashayla Pikodin. And therefore, why bother to make him take an oath of a Maitim Amixas if we can force him to give up the object with this oath that he doesn't have it in his possession? Therefore, he must take that one first and then include within it the idea of a Maitim Amixas. 
The last three cases all deal in one of the parties not knowing exactly what the value of this mashkin was. The general principle in the case of doubt is that if one person says to the other that you owe me money, and the other says, I don't know if I owe you or not, the law is that he need not pay. He merely must take a shvuas hesis, a rabbinic oath, to swear that he does not know whether he owes or not. The lack of knowledge on his part, whereas the definite claim of the other is not enough to make the supposed dead whore pay up the money. Now, we will apply this principle in these following cases. The fifth case. The lender says that I lent you one sela, and the mashkin which I lost was worth only two. Therefore, you still owe me two. The borrower says that I don't know how much it was worth. In this case, First of all, the lender takes his regular oath that he does not have possession of the object. And then he includes in this oath that it was only worth two dinner. And in this case, Then then the borrower must pay off the rest of the loan, since he has sworn, the lender has sworn that it's only worth two. Therefore, the borrower still owes two. And why in this case do we not apply our general principle that in the case where somebody doesn't know, he is exempt from re- repaying? Because this case is different. He knows for sure that he owes money over here. He just doesn't know whether it's paid back or not. It's not a regular case of doubt where the person doesn't know at all whether he owes money. This lender, this borrower, excuse me, knows that he for sure owes money. The only question is whether he's paid it or paid off his debt or not. So in this case, he is required to pay. However, in order to take it away, the lender must first take his oath, and he includes it in his regular oath that he must take to verify that it was not within his possession. A sixth case: Seller he'll be sani Allah The borrower claims that I borrowed a seller from you. However, the mashkin that you lost was worth twice as much, and therefore you owe me a seller. The lender says he doesn't know what it's worth. In this case, the lender takes an oath, his regular one, that it is not in his possession. The lender takes his regular oath that he does not have the collateral in his possession, and he includes in this oath that the collateral was not worth that he at least that he does not know that the collateral was worth more than the loan even by one pruta. In other words, he doesn't know that it was worth one, more than one seller. The yifter, and then he is exempt. Because he was never obligated to pay anything, and therefore his case goes back to the regular principle in a case where one person claims money and the other one says he doesn't know. Since this lender never ever owed money to the borrower. Therefore, since he says he doesn't know if he owes anything, he must take an oath to that extent. And in this case, he includes it in his regular oath, and he is exempt. But if the lender says that he knows that it was worth a little bit more than the debt, in other words, he does owe a little bit because he lost his collateral, but he doesn't know exactly how much. In this case, he's just like when the, when the lender didn't know. He must pay back whatever the borrower claims, and the borrower does not even have to take an, uh, take a, uh, an oath. 
Why? Because this is Kamisha Omar Chamishim Yesh Lecho Biyodi V'chamishim Eini Yodeya And when a person says that it's true 50 I owe you and the other 50 I don't know since he knows he owes something, but doesn't know the complete amount, he is required to take an oath to say he doesn't know about this other 50. And in that case, he would have to take a shvua as a maid of the mikzas, to take an oath that he doesn't know about the other 50. He is not able to take an oath over here. How can you take an oath of this sort as a maid of the mikzas? A maid of the mikzas has to deny the claim against him, and he's not denying it. All he can say here is that he doesn't know. And the principle is, as we will learn later in the laws of, of Tayyim Venitin, that anyone that is required to take an oath, and for whatever reason is unable to do so, is required to pay. Kamoshiyah's bar, as will, will be explained over there. So too in this case. This lender over here is also like a major mimixus. He agrees that he owes something. He agrees to something of the claim of this borrower. But he doesn't know how much. So he would have to take an oath as a major mimixus. However, he cannot take such an oath. Because the oath of a major mimixus is only to deny the claim against him. Not to say that he doesn't know. Since in this case he cannot take such an oath. He is a yachal l'shavim. He therefore he must pay. And this is done without even making the borrower take an oath. However, he is allowed to make a declaration of chedem against anyone who makes a false claim against him. By the the enactment of the generation of the ga'inim, anyone that is in such a situation and can not make the other party swear, can make a chedem stam, merely make a general statement that anyone who has false claims against him should have this ban of chedem put against him. The next three halachas deal with the question about when the loan is able to be collected. Halachae. If one person lends money to another and they, they set a certain time in which it should be collected. Even if they did not make a Kenyan sudr, a sign of agreement between them by picking up a garment of some sort. He is not, nevertheless, not able to reclaim this loan until the end of the stipulated time period. Regardless of whether the loan was oral or written. Whether or not there was collateral involved. Regardless of whether in the interim the borrower died or the lender died. If the time was stipulated, they must wait until that time period for collection. But if no time was specified, an, uh, an unspecified loan is for 30 days. Whether it was written, oral, or with collateral. However, However, if it was stipulated that the lender can collect whenever he wants, he is even allowed to collect this debt on the very same day that he lent it. Because this is a condition relating to money. And any condition relating to money, the law is, as the Rambam has mentioned many times, the call to Naishab Kayim. Any any regulation or stipulation regarding financial matters is nevertheless valid. So if he makes a stipulation that he can collect it whenever he wants, even on the very same day it can be collected. Halach above. Let's say there should be a disagreement regarding when the time period is. The lender claims that today is the end of the stipulated time period. 
No. The borrower says, That you gave me another ten days. Now is not the time period. In such a case, The borrower takes a rabbinic oath to say that he still has ten days left, and then we believe him that since he's a kefir hakol, the lender says there's no time left, and he says there's ten days left. He is a complete... Den, uh, completely denying the claim against him, and he's believed with a rabbinic oath. If, however, the lender had one witness to substantiate that today is the end of the stipulated time period, this borrower must take an oath by Torah law, as in any other claims, as the Rambam says in the beginning of Hilchastayim Vinitin, that any case where two witnesses would have sufficient strength to cause somebody to pay money, one witness can force the person to take an oath, min ha-teira. Let's say, One of them says, the lender says, that there's only five days left before you have to pay me. And the borrower says, no, there's ten days left. In such a case, we tell the lender, Hold on, wait until the end of these five days. You both agree that there's five days left, so wait until the end of these five days. And then the Yishva has his Shanishur Eid, Chamisha Yomim. And then the borrower will have to take a rabbinic oath that there are five days remaining. Why should we make an oath, an oath now? Maybe one of the two parties will agree, and the oath will end up having been useless. Since there is no dispute now, we wait until the end of the five days and only then apply the oath. Halachazayin. Hoyasa Milva Veshtar. Let's say the loan was with a document. And the borrower claims that you gave me a certain time period in which to pay back. And for some reason it's not written in the document. So who over here is believed? Yirali, it appears to me, says the Rambam, that the Balchayv, the lender, makes a, takes a rabbinic oath that he never said any time period. And then he takes the money immediately. Right after he takes this oath that there was no specific time set, he can reclaim the money right away. The Kesef Mishnah, by the way, discusses that this word, the Heses, to say that it's a rabbinic oath seems strange over here. That in a normal case where somebody takes an oath and thereby can take money, it's not a rabbinic oath. It's an It's similar to a Torah oath. It's Benakita's Chefetz. Nevertheless, the Kesef Mishnah says that perhaps we can, we can still say that this is the correct version of Rambam. And he says the reason the lender must take a rabbinic oath in this case is because the lender in this case is like a kefir hakel. He is denying the claim against him. Because over here the borrower is making the claim that he set a time period. And he must deny that claim, be a kefir hakel, and say no time period was established. Therefore, in this case, we can say that a shvuas hesis will apply even though... Through taking this oath, he will end up collecting money. And now the final halacha, halacha ches, relating to what is the location that the loan should be repaid. The loan can be demanded in any place. For example, how is this? If someone lends money to another in an inhabited place, and he asks for repayment when they're out in the desert, 
The borrower is not allowed to push him off and say, let's wait till we get back to the settled area. Rather, he is required to pay him back any time that he should have a, a tviya against him. Whenever he is asked to pay, as long as it is within the proper time period, he is required to do so. However, conversely, the situation is different. Let's say the borrower comes up to the lender in the middle of the desert and says he wants to pay him off. In this case, the choice is in the hand of the bar of the lender. Should he wish, he can take the money there. But if he wants otherwise, I do not want to be paid except in a settled area. I don't want to have to hold on to this in the desert. Just like I gave it to you in a settled area. And therefore, they are still your responsibility. The money is still yours, you borrower, until you pay me off in an inhabited place. I don't have to worry about taking care of it here in the wilds. You must hold on to it and take responsibility until you pay me back in the same sort of place in which I lent you.